0: From Hagerstown, Maryland, Associated Builders and Contractors at Cumberland Valley bring you another episode of their construction podcast. Each episode, we bring you industry professionals from the construction industry to talk about the issues at hand that face our industry within our region. Let's jump into the conversation. All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, We are very, very fortunate today uh, to have Sydney Jakes with us. Um, Sydney has been working in the construction industry for many, many years and uh, also is with Jakes and Associates. Sydney has most uh, or has recently done a a TED talk. And I think we are going to be in for quite a thrill this morning as we talk with Sydney about some uh, issues around the construction industry and how we can get more people into the construction industry. So with that, I'll turn it over to you Sydney if you wanna uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Thank you, Amos. I am so excited to be here with you today. Uh, Any chance I have to talk about construction is a good day for me. So my name is Sydney Jakes, like you mentioned, I am a farm girl from Montana. And I tell people, I think that's one of the reasons that I was really drawn to construction, because when I was a kid, my favorite thing in the world was being out on a tractor with my dad. Um, I learned my first negotiation skills on Saturday when it was time to do chores. I would negotiate with my siblings to do all of the outside stuff and didn't want to do anything inside the house. I just wanted to be outside working with my dad and um so that's where my roots come from. I got a degree in civil engineering. I had a counselor and he said you're good at math. You should be an engineer. So I got a degree in civil engineering, and then it didn't take me long to realize I was not cut out to live in a cubicle. And so I started looking around to figure out what I could do, and I quickly realized that (laughs) I had more personality and communication skills than any other engineer I had met, quite honestly. (laughs) And so I felt like I was jumping off a cliff, but 28 years ago, I left my job as an engineer broke out of the cubicle and started my own business and my tagline was the people side of engineering and construction. And so over the last 28 years, I've had a lot of fun and Uh, My focus has really become helping um, construction teams. So I do this in two different ways. Part of it is I work on big projects when an owner selects a contractor to build their project. Uh, In a lot of industries, they call it partnering. And I do a lot of partnering facilitation where I bring together the contractor and the owner and help them really focus on good communication, issue resolution, um, talking about risks and really planning um, to create I call it creating a a team culture by design, not default. So being really intentional about the culture we want to create, where we can problem solve together and collaborate together and do everything that we can to help each other um, be successful. And then I also work uh, internally with a lot of different contractors, uh, helping them with their culture. Uh, Every, every client that I work with um, recruiting and retention is a a challenge. And I have really found that the key to recruiting and retaining good employees comes down to culture and leadership. And so those are the things that I love to focus on. Uh, I've had a chance to work with over 500 different teams, literally around the world. I currently have projects in Japan, Korea, and Guam, and all over the United States. And I just love what I do. And I love construction and the people that work in construction.
0: Awesome. Uh, I have to share a a slightly funny story with you. I met an engineer uh, 10, 15 years ago that was uh, in sales. And uh, once we got to talking and he said that uh, he was an engineer um, or or was trained as an engineer and went to school to become an engineer, I I, I had to kind of step back a second. I said, well, you know, most engineers aren't able to talk and communicate. And uh, he he informed me that the day uh, he was absent, the day that they beat the sense out of all of the engineers, so he didn't have that part. Um, and and not hopefully we don't offend any of our engineers might be might be listening. We need them as well. Um, now, with what you do, have you seen a rise um, since the pandemic? and not specifically on the side of retention, but working on culture and uh, working with businesses. Have you seen a rise of businesses asking for help during this time? And I'm thinking more along the lines of that relationship between the owners and the businesses um, because we're having supply shortages, um, we can't find the people to do the jobs and all of the things that go along with that. Are you seeing more of that now?
1: I am. And I think it's interesting because I think uh, I think you're absolutely right. The more variables of risk that there are, the more people realize that collaboration and building trust with the owner is the answer. And so it's interesting because um, I've had quite a few different projects where I start out and I'm invited to the project because the owner has a specification that says they want to facilitate a partnering session. And then i work with the contractors through that project and when they win their next project they call me and they say the government or my owner's not helping pay for it but i can see the advantage in having this partnering relationship it saves us time it saves us money and so then they continue to bring me in uh, knowing that truly building trust and collaboration makes a better project and and in the end it affects the bottom line and so but you're absolutely right. The more risk variables that are out there, and there's a lot of them right now, uh, the more we need to build trusting relationships.
0: Now, not to, uh, uh, not to diminish the value of good contracts and all of those things that exist in the construction world, and, and we must have those to do business, but would, would your opinion be, or which would be, in your opinion, more important, having an ironclad contract? we creating a good relationship between the, uh, the general contractor and the owner, the subcontractors and the general contractor, and so on. Which do you think would be more important?
1: Well, honestly, I think the relationships are more important. Uh, I always say what we do does not take away from the contract and the specification that you have in place. It doesn't change it. But the reality is that no contract in spec is ever perfect. And so if we have trusting relationships, and it's interesting that you bring up the subs because that is so important in the work that we do. And oftentimes the subs are overlooked and we don't focus on building trusting relationships. And then in the end, that's where things end up falling apart. And so building the relationships all the way through with the owner, the contractor, the subcontractors, uh, that to me, that's the way that you implement a good contract.
0: Well, wait a minute, we're paying them. Do they need more than that? You mean, I, I, now we have to get to know them and, and build a relationship?
1: <laughs> I know, it's, it's your favorite part. I, I actually I actually had a, a, a good friend who owns an a engineering firm, and he said to me once, you know, The hardest, the thing that makes me the maddest about what you do is he said, you bring us all together and we actually become friends. And then it makes it hard to be a jerk out to the contractor when we're doing the CM for the project. And I said, (laughs) good, that's my goal.
0: (gasps) (laughs) So you talked a little bit about your your journey into the construction world and uh, into helping construction businesses. Um, You know, what do you think about sending your sons and daughters off to the construction business? Would that be something you would recommend to parents that, you know, you should really be making sure that those doors are open and that that is at least a choice on the table uh, for young students as they're thinking about career paths? Or would you say, nah, you know, construction's too dirty and, and too terrible, we shouldn't work there?
1: That is a great question. And as you mentioned, I had a chance to do a TEDx talk last year. And uh, the focus of my TEDx talk was increasing the respect for humans in hard hats. And um, I, people know I'm passionate about how we need to uh, have more respect for them. But it's interesting because uh, a few years ago, as I was working on workforce development here in Utah, uh, I was interviewing a lot of people asking them, why do you think that we can't get more people in construction? And one of my good friends that I interviewed is the president of a big home builders company here in Utah. And he said, he said Sid, you have three daughters. And I know if one of your daughters brought home a boyfriend for Sunday dinner and, and he said, oh, I'm not going to college. I'm going to be a plumber or I'm going to be a welder. He said, I know in your mind, you would be thinking, oh, this guy's not good enough for my daughter. My daughter deserves somebody that goes to college. And I just said to him, I said, you know, in the past, I honestly believed that, but I don't have those beliefs anymore because I respect the people in the trade so much for what they do and what they build and how they contribute to our communities. And so it's interesting because um, that was about five years ago. We had that conversation. And this summer, my youngest daughter, Nikki, got engaged to Sterling, who is um, he did a a program in the trades through high school. He's currently working as a plumber and getting his certifications as a plumber. Uh, He's 24 and he also he this summer he bought his first home. And I just think I don't know a 24-year-old kid in college that's made enough money already that he can buy his first home. And so I absolutely every person that I talk to that will listen, I say, you know, open your mind and be willing to see what else is out there because there are a lot of opportunities and the the statistics of the college debt um you know it's it, one of the things one of the slides that i showed in my ted talk showed that a construction superintendent on average makes $15,000 more per year than a computer programmer and yeah, people so- don't, people are like what no way but they're very lucrative careers and and i i just my goal is i just plead with people just be open minded just look what's out there because My personal philosophy is that there are people that love to work with their hands, that love to build things that could be really good in our industry, but between our high school counselors and our parents not being open-minded enough to show them the opportunities, they're missing out and we're missing out. And so that's my biggest goal is just trying to open open the minds of people to look and see so that we can find those people that really do fit what we're looking for.
0: We... uh believe here that 90% of the time, uh, the students that are coming through the school um, in in a different area, may be different. Uh, Here, I think it's in eighth grade, between seventh and eighth grade, they do a career study uh, section. And 90% of the time, they pick a path of maybe five choices that they know somebody does. So, you know, mom, dad, grandpa, uncle Joe, so on and so forth. And, and that's as wide as their vision is. And, yep. you know, our goal is to continually try to get all the options out there. Now, obviously we love construction, um, but we want to make sure that they see every option that's out there because there are a lot of viable options for employment and careers, not just a job, but careers right. um, that, that will, will help. We often tell. Actually, we created an emoji. Um, it's a, a young lady in a hard hat, and she's holding money bags. And uh, we, <laughs> I love we, it. We started promoting a hashtag uh, No Student Debt uh, Apprenticeship. But when I'm presenting to students, I will tell them that you know there's one thing that that you will definitely get with a college education that you won't get with apprenticeship, and that's debt. Debt. <laughs> um, So it's very fascinating. Um, I had an interesting uh, similar circumstance with one of our students here two years ago. I overheard them talking about moving and I said, oh, did you get an apartment? And uh, this 20-year-old looked at me kind of oddly and said, well, no, I bought a house. And uh, he had went through uh, our career tech program and then came into our program in year two. So by 20, he was graduating and he was already buying a house at 20 years old. Um, You know, uh, unbelievable success, Um, and uh, I often say the American dream is is alive and well in apprenticeship and and within careers in construction. Um, So, you kind of alluded a little bit to, you know, who your daughter is married or or, uh, engaged to. Um, What do you think about women working in construction? Is that something they can do, or is that Uh, maybe outside of uh, their abilities? What do you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. They can do it. And I I think one of the things that I've learned um, back when I was in school in engineering, I remember there was one uh, advisor that was really pushing to try and get more women in engineering. And I remember thinking, oh, goodness, if they want to be engineers, let them, you know, why the big push? And then I started working on projects and almost all the time, I was the only female on the project team. And I would just sit there and think, man, I just think differently. I see things differently. And I learned that diversity in a team is good. The more that you can bring to the table, if you have different points of view and different backgrounds and experience and think differently, it makes the team stronger. And I absolutely know in construction, uh, it's the same. And whether it's at the craft level, the project manager, uh, I I mentor a lot of um, female engineers that are working in construction. And it just thrills me to see the way that they're able to lead teams and uh, the things that they're able to accomplish. And and honestly, you know, uh, I I truly believe that that is one of the answers to our workforce shortage. Is that you know currently they say we are less than nine percent of our construction workers are women, and I just think that there is so much potential there. Again, I, I believe those people are out there if we can find them and, and open people's minds to see that this is a great place to work and it's great work to do. and you know, the, the feeling of watching something get built and the accomplishment and, and I, I think that women, you know have a, a lot of natural talents for being able to uh, both construct and to be leaders in construction. I really believe that.
0: With all of the 500 teams that you've worked with, um, have you seen evidence and proof that a, a well-diversified team is a more successful team uh, in, in, in your experiences and what you have seen?
1: I have, but I will admit that sadly enough, I mean, I, I was in a meeting in Montana last week and there were 48 men and me. I, I mean, it, it's just across the board, there still just are not not very women, very many women there. When they are there, it it makes a difference. Um, But unfortunately, they're still just not there. Um, Many teams don't have any any women that show up um, to the the project leadership meetings that we do. And so I I really believe we're missing out on opportunities.
0: So with with that being said, The, the big word or phrase running around the industry right now is diversity and inclusion. And, right. and uh, it, it's everywhere. We've had requests to, uh, uh, you know, provide more information on programs and things that are out there. Um, so what are your thoughts on diversity and, and inclusion? What does it mean to you? Is it just a checklist that, you know, we we create and we say we're going to fill so many people for this this box and so many people for this box? Or is it truly a culture that we uh, cultivate and we grow? What, What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I told you earlier that one of the things I really focus with my clients on is creating cultures by design, not default. And to me, this is where diversity, equity, and inclusion fits exactly into this culture. Do you have a culture plan? I mean, that's one of the things I work with my clients on. Oftentimes, we have our safety plan, we have our operating plan, a strategic plan, but do we really have a culture plan of what we want our culture to be like? And so I think DEI and i fits into that culture plan, that it's something that we really have to be intentional about. Um, and I think... I think awareness uh, is a big part of it. I think educating people on the benefits of diversity and, and that goes you know well beyond women, um, but it starts with the education and then it starts with creating a place where people feel safe. And we talk so much about physical safety, but, um, we, we also teach classes on psychological safety. And are we creating places where people feel safe even to ask questions if they don't know exactly what to do or they don't understand a process or why we do this? Having creating cultures where it's safe to ask questions. Uh, many women say it, some of their biggest challenges are they're out on projects and there's no place for them to go to the bathroom. You know, being aware and saying, are we creating a place where if we bring women or uh, diversity to our projects? That, that we're supporting them in a way that they can be successful. And so I think it is definitely part of being intentional about our cultures. Uh, I was thrilled. Um, I don't know if you saw, I'm trying to remember, it was a few months ago, but I saw uh, on LinkedIn that there were some contractors that came together for diversity and inclusion week and, um, you know, did webinars every day. And that thrilled me to see contractors stepping up and saying, you know, we understand this is important, And we want to be a part of the solution. Um, As a woman, I I never want to um, get work because somebody checked the box and was like, oh, she fits that box. I want to get work because I'm qualified. And I think it's the same thing with DE&I. I I think it helps us to um, interview more people. The way that I've seen it most successful is that if we interview more diverse candidates, And then we say we still want to select the best person for the position, but in the past we're not reaching out to find the diverse candidates so we're interviewing the same people that look like us (laughs) that we've had historically, but if we can make the push that we want to recruit interview. And then still choose the, the person that's best for the job. That's how women and minorities are ending up in, in more positions because they are qualified, but often they're overlooked and don't even get that interview.
0: What about smaller businesses? You know, in the construction, uh, is specifically in the commercial construction world, um, many of the subcontractors and contractors doing the work are, are very small businesses. Um, They may not even have a strategic plan, um, may, you know, range in size from, you know, maybe two employees upwards to, you know, 20 or 25. What can they do um, in in the world of uh, diversity, equity and inclusion? What can they do without all of the resources to be able to go hire somebody to help them and to facilitate something?
1: That's that's a really good question. Um, I think one, I think a company is never too small. Uh, it's interesting. (laughs) Like I say, I talk about this all the time. I was at the bank the other day. I was talking to the guy at the bank, found out that his wife is studying construction management at our local university here. And so he introduced us over text and I took her out to lunch and I found out that she's working with a, a small company of eight people and she loves it. And she's like, I'm the first woman that they've ever hired. She's working as an intern now while she's going to college. And um, she's like, I'm the first woman that they ever hired. And I think they were kind of nervous. She's like, but, you know, I've been great for them and they've been great for me. And so I think, I think there isn't a company that's too small. I think there are a lot of free resources. Uh, like I say, just the webinars that were on LinkedIn um, during the diversity and inclusion week were were great educational opportunities and so um i say no matter no matter what size you are um being open uh to diversity and inclusion is going to be is going to be a benefit uh
0: if you are uh in a traditionally overlooked group um in a region and you really want to get into construction what would be your advice uh, to someone that has a desire, wants to get into the construction industry? How do they overcome the fact that so many businesses are doing what we just said and hiring uh, from the same pool, the same group, people that look like them, talk like them and act like them? How do we get in there? And, and kind of coupled with that, I guess that's going into somebody starting to build their own brand. Um, what, what are your, your thoughts there?
1: Well, to me, I think that's part of the power of the apprenticeship programs that I've seen is that it gives people an entry point where they can raise their hand and say, hey, this is something that I'm interested in, and this is something that I want to do. So I think that's a a great entry point. Uh, Another thing is that I, whenever I speak, whether it's in a, I love to do keynotes at conferences or Um, And, you know, also working with my individual clients, I constantly plead with people uh, to be a mentor. And it's interesting um, for quite a few years I was uh, serving on a workforce development committee and one of the things that we would do is review scholarship applications for people going into construction management in college and Almost every single scholarship application had a pro had a a story that this applicant told about, well, my scout leader took me out to a construction site, and the first time I was on that construction site. Or there, I remember one girl um, that we awarded a scholarship to and she said, my uncle was in construction and my parents discouraged me, but my uncle used to take me out to his construction sites and I loved it so much. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so my plea to everybody that I talked to is be that scout leader, be that uncle, be that person that if each of us just every year would, would, would select one person to just invite them to see how awesome this industry is is you know to me that's how you make a movement that's how you start moving the needle and and so th- those are some of the things that I encourage people to do
0: how early do you think um you know currently most schools around the country don't really start to introduce careers and those types of things to students until they get to seventh or eighth grade um what are your thoughts on starting to uh introduce students even at a younger age at elementary school level just to understanding what different things are out there. What, what do you think uh, about that?
1: I call it the elephant that's so big, we can't figure out where to start. It's so overwhelming. We've had so many meetings and so many task forces, and, and, and obviously I think the sooner the better, um, but it does get overwhelming. Uh, In a few States that I work in, we've, we've worked on doing, um, you know, big events where the kids can actually come out and sit on the construction equipment and watch the construction equipment and it gets them excited, you know. And so it's it's obviously never too early. Um, but like I say, it's I know as as people working in the industry, it's overwhelming that we're trying to get all of these jobs built and and there's never enough people to build what we already have and yet we need to spend this time and effort also trying to figure out how do we educate how do we recruit, how do we, how do we help people understand what we have to offer.
0: Now, kind of going back to another thing we were talking about the the labor shortages that are out there and, and we talked about making sure that uh, companies aren't overlooking, um, uh, females aren't overlooking, minorities overlooking other groups that maybe they've, they've never tapped into. Um, along those uh, same lines, many times I will get, uh, because of our apprenticeship program, we will get, uh, I'll call them prospective members um, for ABC that will call and say, we're looking for people. And as I talk to them on the phone, many times I find out, well, you know, we, we, uh, we're a roofing company and we have a very high turnover. It's not because we're a bad company. It's because it's tough work. They'll tell me. Um, and what do you think when companies are coming to you and they're telling you they have a high turnover, but it's not them. It's, it's, it's the work or it's not them. It's the new millennials. It's the younger generation. They don't want to work. What are your thoughts there?
1: I've heard it over and over again and it, it it is hard work and it's not for everyone, but I also believe uh, one of the things that I teach, I used to um, teach the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey and one of the principles that he teaches it's called the circle of influence and really identifying what do I have influence over and what's out of my control and with some of those workers they're just not willing to work hard and that's out of our control. However, I believe there's a lot of things within the circle of our control. How do we treat them when they're there? How is our onboarding process? Is it a safe place where they have a mentor that they can ask questions to so that they can truly get trained and feel comfortable doing what you're asking them to do? And then um, some of the other things that I I talk to people about is, is making sure that we have what I call the three Fs. And one is financially, do they understand um, a lot of times as people come on, they only understand their hourly wage. Are we helping them understand what their benefits are? Do we help them understand what their opportunities are? So financially, are we are we taking good care of them and are they understanding, you know, what their financial benefits are, not just their hourly wage, but everything else that goes into that. Uh, the second one is food, and people will laugh at me all day long, but the reality is that food perks make a difference. You know, it's just, I was speaking at a at a construction conference in South Dakota, and I was talking about this, and I had these two ladies come up to me afterwards, and they um, owned a construction company, and they said every Friday, they go out to one of their crews, and they um, they jokingly we call it Meals on Wheels, and they said sometimes we take out tacos, sometimes we take out pizza, but every Friday they go and they visit and they they take food, they take lunch to one of their crews, and they were saying that their mom had asked them uh, if they could help her with something on a Friday, and they're like, sorry, Mom, we have Meals on Wheels that day, and she's like, oh, I'm so proud of my girls for their volunteer efforts with the senior citizens. <laughs> i thought that was funny um anyone so the first f is financial we need to make sure that we're we're taking care of them and educating them on the financial benefits of working for the company food perks we need to be intentional about how just just showing appreciation and food is a way that we can do that but then the third f is the future i think one of the biggest mistakes employers make is that they don't help their new employees see what their future could be at the company Uh, we've done focus groups with people 18 to 28 year olds and the reality is that they're wired different they're wired that they stay at a job a year or two and then they move on but again i believe that if we educate them and show them that there is a future for them in our company If we can show them that, yeah, it's really hard doing this, but this is your next step. And this is the position you could be in. This is the money that you could make. And even just expressing, we want you to stay here. I I, I don't, for the most part, I don't think we're good at that. We just, right. We expect them to show up. We give them, like I I had one of the leaders I was working with is like, I give them a paycheck. Why should I tell them I appreciate them? (laughs) Well, if you want them to stay, you know, and and so those are three things that we work with our clients on is the three Fs, the financial, the food, and the future. Are we really painting a picture of what they could do um, if they stay here? And and I think that those three things help them um, to feel appreciated and it does um, make the retention rates higher.
0: I'm working right now on uh, later this year, we're going to, we will be providing uh, John C. Maxwell's Living Intentional for, mm-hmm. for our Love members. It. And uh, it's interesting. Everything that you, you kind of just said really falls into that uh, live life intentionally. And that's not only your personal life, but also at work as well. Um, and you know, be intentional to make sure that they know that they have worth and that you appreciate them. Be intentional, making sure that they understand the financial benefits and what their future looks like. Um, so every day, if we wake up and we can just make sure that we're going to do something intentionally to change what that outcome of that day will be, you know, we we will be much much better.
1: Yeah can can I can I bring one thing in here? Sure. Uh, early, earlier on, you kind of mentioned personal brand, and I and I didn't really cover that, but. That's one of my favorite things um, to talk about being intentional about is that I truly believe that each of us has a personal brand, how we show up in the world, how we how we interact with, um, you know, people at work and at home. And so this is one thing that I've learned personally is the more intentional I can be about my personal brand the better that I show up. And so one of the tools um, that I've developed is so simple, but so powerful that I work with people on is um, having three words that you would want people to use to describe you. And where this came from was I was actually having uh, lunch with one of my clients that was a public works director. And he was telling me about two different contractors he was working with. And they had both obtained their contracts by low bid. And he told me that one of them, he said, their uh, project manager, he's like a pit bull. And he said, he drives me crazy. He always is putting pressure on me. He doesn't think ahead. He's like, I just feel like he's constantly biting at my ankle. And he said, the best way I can describe you to him is he's like a pit bull. And then he talked about the other contractor. And he said, this guy, he's a problem solver. He said, he's always thinking ahead. He over communicates. And he said, I wish I could do every project with this guy because he's such a problem solver. And that day I was driving home and I was thinking pit bull, problem solver, pit bull, problem solver. And I thought if he had lunch with someone else tomorrow and he said, hey, I had lunch with Sydney Jakes yesterday, that Sydney, she's really Yep. What would he say about me? Hopefully, he wouldn't call me a pit bull, but I don't think he would call me a problem solver. And so I just came up with this little exercise I do with people where I have them come up with three words or phrases that you would want people to use to describe you. So for me, mine are happy, high energy, and adding value. And every morning when I get up and I'm brushing my teeth, I just am telling myself, today I'm going to be happy, high energy, and add value in any way that I can. And so I think the more intentional we can be, the more that we can show up and we can really contribute. Um, And one of my favorite stories that goes with this is one of my clients, I do a monthly training for all their foremen and superintendents. So we just do it virtually wherever they're at in their projects. They log in for an hour. And one day we were talking about this with a focus on really being a better mentor and coach to the people that they're working with out in the field. And so I, I explained to them that I know that there's a power in having triggers, things that help us to remember, uh, like one of my triggers is a doorframe. Every time I go through a door frame, it reminds me happy, high energy, adding value. And so I gave them a challenge to come up with a trigger and three words or phrases. And then at the end of the the hour class, we went around the virtual room and I was asking everyone. And this was my favorite response that I got. One of the superintendents, he said, while I was sitting here, I put a little red piece of tape on the underbill of my hard hat. And he said, nobody else is going to see that, but it's always going to be there. And that's going to be my trigger to remind me. And he said, "That's going to me, remind me that I want to be nice, be kind, and don't be a jerk." And I that's just awesome. thought, I just thought, if I can, <laughs> that's that's become one of my new passions. I want to help everybody in the construction industry realize if we could just be nice, be kind, and don't be a jerk, it would be a better place, and we would have higher retention rates. I really truly believe that.
0: I think so, um, and. and- you know, as you were going through that, it just made me uh, kind of go back into uh, uh, into the seven habits and beginning with the end in mind. This is yep. how you apply that. This right your, your method and your exercise is, is a great way to kind of make sure every day you're being intentional and you're beginning with that end in mind, um, because at the end of the day, we don't want anybody to look back and say, ah, that Amos, he was a jerk today.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: So, uh, one question that, uh, and I'm going to add one more question uh, here, uh, because I realize as many people as you uh, work with and as many projects as you have been around, um, what is one or two of the coolest pieces of technology you have seen out there that uh, is being used on job sites?
1: Um. I think that the, the 3D technology, uh, I, I guess two things. One is the, the 3D printing blows my mind. Um, it's just absolutely astounding to me, um, you know, what, what they can do with 3D printing. Um, the other thing, coming from a transportation background, um and having pounded a lot of stakes in the road (laughs) uh, i think i think these projects where they're doing everything um electronically and downloading plans and sending them to their equipment and not out there pounding any stakes like that's that that's mind-boggling to me one of the projects i was working on as we were talking about the risks one of the risks um, they were using this this system where they they basically were not putting any stakes in the ground, but one of the risks that they talked about was there's a certain time of day that the satellites are are weaker, and so yeah. the signals coming to the GPS on the heavy equipment um, were were not as strong and so they talked about we have to be really careful during this you know one hour of the day and I was just like wow who I you know 30 years ago when I was getting my engineering degree I never would have imagined uh, the things that they're able to do today absolutely incredible
0: neat I think uh, uh the the neatest things and I show this to students um or they have some uh Uh, exoskeletons, I'm going to call uh, that you can wear now that actually for the jobs that you still have to lift something, it allows you to be able to lift like 500 pounds and it only feels like it's 50. Wow. uh, That's just over the past year or so. We've seen some of that coming out, but I think that's pretty cool uh, too. So
1: so that's another thing that I think as an industry, I, I mentioned earlier, we've done a lot of focus groups on uh, and one of the focus groups we did with this 18 to 28 year old is we were asking them what do they think about construction and you know, what would be barriers for them entering in construction. And one of the things that came out of all three of our um, research groups is there is for the general public, there's absolutely no connection between construction and technology absolutely none. They don't think that we're high tech. They don't think that we're, they just, they have no idea when they think of construction, they think of a flagger standing out there with a flag and they think of a hard work, you know, laborer, or somebody, you know, with that, with a hammer. Yep. And so I think as an industry, as we look at trying to attract youth, that's one of the things that we need to do a better job uh, educating them on is the high technology that we're using because people don't know that they have no idea. Um, Like I say, it it was so fascinating to me in this research study. There's absolutely no connection to the general public that construction and high tech go together, that there is not a connection there at all. And we need to make that connection for them.
0: I I would agree that I just, uh, I think last year, and I forget the author of the book, but uh, there's a book about uh, the internet of things in construction. Mm. and the number of things on construction sites that are now connected and and feeding information back so lastly I always love to ask everybody what is your one book that you have on the bookshelf that you continually go back to um, to get insight
1: all right I was ready for your question I don't know if you'll be able to see this Ah, I don't know how to get it oh there There we go. go All right, so my favorite book is called the trust edge, so the trust edge is a book by David Horsager and um, it's all about how, how do you build more trust and he's uh, done over 25 years of research and narrowed it down to eight different pillars. And um, these things have been proven over and over again. If you want to build trusting relationships at home, at work, in your teams, these eight pillars um, are proven. And so I use this with all of the teams that I work with because if I had to pick one thing that makes a successful team or a successful culture, it's trust. Yep. So this is a way that we can actually help people build trust and so I love the book. I apply it all the time and I highly recommend it.
0: Awesome. So last item, I guess, is, uh, uh, you know, how far are you willing to travel? And now I made a note, um, so you, you do understand, um, we have great food here. So if <laughs> we provide you with food, maybe you'll come uh, do do a, a lunch and learn or, or a seminar for us.
1: I would um, love to. But, but
0: how, how do people get in touch with you and, uh, you know, Uh, you know, if people were interested, do you travel across the United States to uh, work with companies?
1: I absolutely do. I love it. Like I mentioned, I even have some international projects. So I I go around the world doing what I love to do. Uh, My website is sydneyspeaks.com and there's no Y at the end of my name. So it's S-Y-D-N-E speaks.com. And uh, I love to uh, work with large groups. I love keynotes. I love working with individual organizations. And I'm writing a book. So hopefully you'll have me back next year and I can talk about the book that I'm writing.
0: Awesome. Yes, we will definitely have you back uh, to hear about that. Okay. Well, Sydney, it has been a pleasure. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, I hope you've enjoyed your uh, time with us as well.
1: I have loved it, Amos and thank you for what you do. I we just we need more <laughs> we need more industry pioneers willing to willing to spread the good word. So thanks for all that you're doing and uh, appreciate your good work.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today for the podcast from the Associated Builders and Contractors of Cumberland Valley. If you'd like more information about us, please check our website at abccvc. Until next time, thanks.